When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Show. Bournemouth and Blackburn back big wins as Barnsley's brilliant burst continues. Grant McCann's date with an ex goes predictably badly. Alex Neal's off the market Sunderland. Mark Hughes fails to spark Bradford. And Azaz brings the Pazaz for Newport. This is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Uh, we're on the home stretch, gang. About a quarter of the season to go in the EFL, and we're still no nearer to finding out who's going up, who's going down. And don't we just love it that way? Uh, joining me today are the award-winning Flo Lloyd-Hughes. Flo, congratulations on the on the silver gong at the SGAs. And the, the breaking news is that you get to keep it all to yourself. I know. Um, the lovely Robin Cowan, friend of the show, obviously, of this parish, um, has tweeted uh, in, I suppose, Oscars-like fashion when... Uh, La La Land uh, accidentally <laughs> took the award and it was actually went to Moonlight. She has taken to the podium and said that as she is not 30 or under 30, she will be uh, handing the, the civil, silver medal that we were going to share um, to me, which was uh, very kind of her. And I was, you know, looking forward to standing at the podium alongside her. But I suppose it's, yeah, we'll get, I'll, I might be a solo in that sense. But yeah, it's obviously amazing um, and a very cool thing to win an award. So I'm very grateful, yeah. Well done, well deserved. Clarky, no no intertotally award for you this year, but you must have got player of the season somewhere, player of the month at least. <laughs> Do you know what? I don't, I don't know if I did. <laughs> I got player. I got player of the year as a kid, but I think I think most most kids get that honour. But yeah, no, can't remember the last time I won anything. But well done, Flo. Superb. You are definitely one to watch. Oh, cheers, Adrian. So we got Flo Lloyd Hughes. We got Adrian Clark. We got Sam Parkin with us too. Sam Swindon Town Hall of Famer. I just wonder, <laughs> does anyone ever call you Sparky? No. <laughs> It's weird that, isn't it? Because S. Parkin, Sparky, is that because you were around Chelsea the same time as Mark Hughes and that was taken? Maybe you could have had a whole I was, I was big dunk at Chelsea <laughs> after Duncan Ferguson. Probably given to me by John Terry, actually. Probably an indication of what our training sessions used to be like. Quite good fun, quite tasty. But yeah, I was big dunk for a number of years. Okay, at least he gave you a nickname rather than an NFT. Uh, right, regular <laughs> listeners will know the format by now. We're going to start in the championship. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Championship headlines. League leaders Fulham remain 11 points clear of third place after they win at Cardiff. Mitro on target again there. Bournemouth came from behind to beat Stoke. Blackburn got their first win in six. Luton are in the top six. At the bottom, Barnsley maintained their momentum by besting Borough. Grant McCann endured a miserable return to Peterborough. Paul Ince's honeymoon is over. And Birmingham changed their name to Small Heath Alliance for Saturday's defeat to Huddersfield because Peaky Blinders. Uh, let's start on the south coast where Bournemouth recovered from going behind early on to stage a late fight back and beat Stoke by two goals to one to maintain second place with a whole bunch of games in hand. Um, Clarkie, the first thing I want to ask you about this game is the red card for Morgan Fox. And what was the difference between that and the Zamora challenge that happened later in the game? Because uh, Michael O'Neill was not convinced that there was much of one. Having lost it, he lunged in to try and retrieve it. And he's shown a straight red card. A quizzical look on the face of Morgan Fox, but he is given his marching orders. Well, that is one to be debated. I don't understand football anymore. <laughs> I just don't get it. Um, honestly, if you were to ask anyone involved in English football on the playing side, on the coaching side, and play them that video of, of Morgan Fox's clean tackle, 
how many would say that that's a red card? I mean, it's just not. It's just not. He, he towed the ball away and, yeah, he, he slipped on, you know, grass is wet. You slip on it. And, and he didn't deliberately have his studs up to try to get the player. And I just think, that, yeah, it's it's just ridiculous. And I think they, they need to change. I didn't think that the tackle from Zamura was a red. That That's a yellow. It's a clear yellow. Um, but for, to not give a foul for that and to send Fox off for the other one is, is just crazy. Yeah, I felt like watching the highlights of this, that I felt like I was going to go like full Graham Souness on, on Sky Super Sunday. But it did kind of make me feel like the, one of those game, the game's gone moments because... I know what Dean Ashton said on Quest about the fact that, you know, player safety is of big importance in football now and and there is a bit more protection in that sense around challenges that are high or at speed. And I do feel like the speed so often and what we're seeing now, and and that's why VAR in some ways works in in the Premier League when, when referees get to look back at things. But often I do feel like sendings off are a given just for the speed of a challenge whether it's necessarily accurate or not, or they get the ball or they get the player, it's so much the speed of things. And I don't know how you really deal with that at all, because if you are challenging at speed, it's going to look potentially aggressive and dangerous. But at the same time, like Adrian said, he got, he got the ball and he did slip a bit and it was eventually high. But at most, I would give a yellow card for that. And I perhaps disagree a little bit with Adrian. I did think the Zamora one could have been a sending off. But then at the same time, I'm saying it is because of the same things that perhaps one would send off Fox, which is it's it's at speed and it's a little bit high. But I do think when you watch the replays of the Fox one, I just can't understand how that is a sending off. I cannot. And I think if you get to a point, and this is why you get into the soonest games gone territory, if you get to a point where players are going to be reluctant to even do a challenge like that. It's just going to get so complicated and I don't know where we sit. And in Quest, they talked a lot about consistency. I think that's where the referee fell apart in this one because he wasn't consistent at all. But there's not only that, it's just, I mean, where do you go with tackling technique? I mean, it's it opens a bit of a Pandora's box for me. Uh, so Fox trotted off. That was after Tommy Smith had put Stoke ahead. Bournemouth left it late to turn things round. 83 minutes, Solanke equalises and then Jamal Lowe wins it in the final minute of normal time. Uh, four wins in a row for the major. They've got loads of games in hand. And the next three, Posh, Derby and Reading. I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Would you, At this stage of the season, would you rather be playing sort of mid-table fodder rather than, than sides who desperately need yeah, the points? Pro- probably, yeah. Yeah, they'll be tough games, I would, I would imagine. They've won six of their last eight as well. So that four in a row in, is sort of stretched out a little bit longer. It's been a good run. It's been a good week for Scott Parker with late comebacks with his subs coming on and and sort of making a difference. I think he made a tweak in this game. He switched Campwell and Billing in the second half, switched them over to the other side of of, of midfield, and and that worked. So he'll he'll be chuffed to bits. Um, but yeah, I, I just feel a bit sorry for Stoke here. It, I don't think they did. I don't think they really deserved to lose. It was quite a good response to a poor performance against against Luton. They'd changed their system as well, actually. They'd gone to a 3-5-2. But yeah, I thought it was a good team performance from, from Stoke and, and the worst they deserved was a, was a draw. But, but yeah, Bournemouth march on. And yeah, it's hard, isn't it, to see them not finishing in the top two now. I think that they've, they've given themselves a great shout. You're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. If you want to read more Football League content from the likes of Nancy Frostick, Paul Taylor, Phil Buckingham, Peter Rutzler and more of the Athletic's best writers, you can do so by heading to theathletic.com forward slash league show and get yourself a subscription of just £1 a month for the next six months. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. Late drama also at the Coventry Building Society Arena. What a natty name that is. All the action took place from the 84th minute onwards between Coventry and Preston. Finished 1-1. First, Liam Lindsay got a second yellow for Preston. Then Fankety Darbo saw red for fouling Emil Reese jacobson Daniel Johnson converted the subsequent penalty. That was with a minute of normal time left. Then Fabio Tavares equalised on 90 plus 8. Sam, more like fabulous Tavares, eh? Lovely goal. You're on fire today, Matt. You really are. <laughs> it's the name of a group as well, isn't it, Tavares? Unless I've just made it up. Like a, like like a, pop, a group. pop group. Yeah, or... Yeah, the exact same spelling. 
Sure, it is. 80s, it is. 70s. R&B group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just yeah. looked it up. American R&B, funk and soul music group. We know Sam's K music tastes very well brothers. then. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. I saw you tweet about listening to Mellow Magic all the way home the other night, Flo. So I did. We're in the same bag. It was the, the only thing that was going to keep me awake at about midnight, 1am <laughs> on the way back from Wolves. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, what was your question, Matt? It was a, it, it was a brilliant goal. Um, probably not in keeping with the with the game. I think the pitch is actually affecting Coventry, something I spoke of a couple of seasons ago, the way they like to play. I thought Preston were the better side in this game, had the better chances, probably should have been out of sight before uh, that goal came around. But um, it did happen after Coventry had tweaked their system, went back to that trusted box midfield after starting with the, the two up front. And I think that's a bit of an issue for them right now. So... Having a young player coming on, affecting the outcome, he may get some starts because Waghorn hasn't scored, I don't think, since November. I think it's one in 18 or something like that. So whether Mark Robbins will revert to that, which got him great success, we'll have to wait and see. But yeah, I mean, basically, it's just about Coventry's late goals. 14 in the last 10 minutes. So that's um, surpassed Fulham and Forrest now. And I thought this was... Incredible, won an extra 15 points with the nine goals they've scored in injury time. I mean, that is just unbelievable resilience. Um, and it's from the first game of the season, if you remember, Matt, when Carl McFadden um, yeah. scored the winner against Forrest. So it's been ridiculously consistent throughout the piece. So they got a great togetherness and um, yeah, got a point from a game that they probably should have lost. Interesting point on the pitch. They won the first six home league games, but only three of the subsequent 11. Maybe that's a, an explanation why. Um, Clarky, I said mid-table fodder earlier. I think we'll put Preston in that category now. Uh, Orton, we, another draw, 14 for the season. Too many, basically, to get into playoff contention. Yeah, I, don't, I think they're a little bit short when it comes to, to playoff potential, but they're improving, aren't they, under, under Ryan Lowe? Definitely. He's got a bit of competition there up, up front. I think that Reese and Cameron Archer... Probably the number one partnership, but in this game, he gave Ched Evans a chance and his movement was really good and he got some good opportunities. He didn't take them. And uh, and what happened when they when they got the man advantage on the back of the red card, he brought on Reese and kind of went for it in a, in a 3-4-3 and, and that made a real difference for them, I think. On the penalty, by the way, I mean, it's another, it's a, it's a mistake, really. It's, um, it's outside the box. And when it's outside the box... I, I don't have an issue with the with the red card because it's a free kick. But when you get the penalty and the red card, again, I just I just think that's I just think that's excessive. What do you think, Flo? Yeah, well, and I've also just been thinking like I know a lot of a lot of fans and a lot of people that follow the championship weren't particularly pleased about the idea of this VAR light being tabled um, for what was it from the 2023-24 season at the earliest. But I do think this weekend has kind of stood out to me as one where it could have been particularly useful. Um, I know a lot of people who watch the Premier League feel like it has ruined certain elements of it and slowed the game down. But I think there real there really is a bit of an officiating issue across the EFL at the moment, and perhaps this would improve things because I do think, like Adrian said, in that case when it is a very clear error, I think with the challenges a little bit different because it's still quite subjective. But with something like that. It, it could make a, a real difference when when you, you can look these things up again. Uh, now, I'm fairly sure we all said Peterborough were nailed on to beat fellow strugglers whole, given the hashtag narrative around the fixture. Grant McCann's first game in his second spell in charge of Posh, coming against the side who'd sacked him mere weeks ago. Final score, Peterborough United nil, Hull City three. As the final whistle goes, here at London Road... The Peterborough fans immediately head for the exits and all the Hull City fans stand and applaud what has been arguably the best afternoon away from home in the Championship so far. He's got his work cut out, Flo, as McCann, based on this evidence. He, like Mark Hughes, uh, offered up the excuse of I had one day's training with the lads before this game. Um, but if there was any game that he should have been able to come up with an effective game plan for, it, it should have been this one, really. Yeah, I wasn't full of uh, hope and optimism after watching his post-match interview as well, when he, he did mention that he doesn't really... Look, I know he's obviously not the most sort of outgoing guy, personality-wise, but he doesn't really look like he believes in that team very much. It almost looks like 
he's accepted the reality of the situation. And obviously a lot of fans would, a lot of people would, because they'd look at Peterborough this season and think they haven't really got a very good chance. But having seen Hull play QPR not you know too long ago, they don't create a lot of chances. And to ship, I know Peterborough have let in a lot, a lot of goals this season, but to let a team like Hull score three goals, you have to play really badly. And obviously a lot of those they came from individual errors and mistakes, but it's not positive going forward really I think if I was a fan and I saw that in post-match interview I'd think oh god like you at least need someone to dress things up a little bit I mean think about I'm going to talk about Reading think about Paul Lintz you know they got a two a, a little slight manager bounce of two wins I still don't think Paul Lintz is the right man for the job and I still think they might probably get relegated but at least you paint over the cracks for a tiny bit and you know create a little bit of optimism and positivity but I don't see any of that here they've had a bad month haven't they um Barnsley have made up eight points on Peterborough this month that's yeah that is an absolute killer for the for the posh fans so so yeah really really worrying times for them on on Hull quickly I, I think if ever there was a case for for just playing players in their best positions. It's it's this one for Keen Lewis Potter, um, who spent a lot of the season at wing back, and he's a perfectly good wing back, really good actually. And and during their a great spell earlier on in the season, him and Longman were were flying down the wings, and uh, and producing excellent. But yeah, he, he's their best player. He's their best finisher. He's really dangerous inside the final third. And they played him in this game, sort of off the stri- off the striker, and, and he scored two great goals, didn't he? Really, really good goals from from Lewis Potter. So, so yeah, hopefully moving forwards, then from a whole point of view, he'll be used in that position. It'll be interesting to see if he's still there next season. Um, Sam, I'll ask you to do some proper analysis of Barnsley in a minute, but first, would you deconstruct our tweet of the week, please? It's a, a little twist on the theme because it comes from Shota Arvaladze himself uh, at Arvaladze underscore Shota. He tweeted, great performance from everyone and a massive win, exclamation mark. Happy to see so many travelling fans at the game, exclamation mark. Thanks for your support for today and always, exclamation mark. Keep working, exclamation mark. Hashtag HCAFC at Hull City, tiger emoji, orange heart emoji. He's also included four pictures. One is of him with his arms outstretched like this. One is of the players celebrating the goal. One is of some supporters, which I think he's actually lifted from a different game because the chap in question is in a fairly old whole kit. And another <laughs> is of him and Grant McCann on the touchline. It's uh, it's thorough, if nothing else. It's pitiful, isn't it? Yeah, it's He's put the work in, though. Come on, there's effort nah, he's there. He's got someone working for him there. <laughs> well, whoever's working for him yeah. put the effort in, at least. <laughs> dreadful. Straight red, and I want, it, I want it extended to a five-game ban. You know, Sam's okay. Sam's um, analysis of those tweets is, is is becoming so infamous now. I actually had my little brother send me one. Uh, Dion Sanderson got sent off for QPR against Blackpool and he sent me a, Sorry, a screenshot yeah. and saying, I wonder what Sam would think of this <laughs> apology. I've, I've meant to pass it on, but but there you go. Um, it's uh, now becoming pretty uh, legendary. <laughs> All right, we'll get an apology tweet analysed next week, maybe. Uh, let's move on, though, to Barnsley. My goodness me, their stunning revival continuing. Just six points from safety all of a sudden with a game in hand on fourth bottom Reading after they shot playoff hopefuls Borough at Oakwell. Uh, they've won three of their last four, having won one of their first 31. Uh, I'm paraphrasing, but Sam, you called them something akin to, to Good Vibes FC recently. And you also bigged up Amin Bassi. And he looks like a terrific signing. He was, he was man of the match by some distance in this game. And yeah, all of a sudden, Barnsley flying. Yeah, it's surprising because there have been you know, loads of glowing reports about this player the last few weeks, but he's not actually contributed a, an assist or a goal until this game. And obviously, the, the, the first delivery was sumptuous, wasn't it, for Anderson's header and then gets himself two goals as well. So this is the day that he, he really came to the party in terms of in front of the goal. Um, but I think you could look at Domingos Kina, who's coming as well, obviously on, on loan. Vita wasn't featuring at all before this little run of, uh, of um, victories. He's playing regularly now. He's changed the system the last two games. That's coincided with the two victories, gone back to the 4-2-3-1. And everything that I've read and everything I've seen suggests that they were more like the Barnsley of last season in terms of in the opposition's face, pressing from the front. And I I would presume that extra body at the top of the pitch, I think it's Callum Styles on the, on the right-hand side, has given them that ability to do so because they're a bit light in midfield. I think that's been the problem area throughout the season. So... 
maybe that's why the levels have dropped from from last year in terms of the intensity but certainly recaptured it here and yeah despite Middlesbrough having more of the ball and more shots and and such like Barnsley by far the better side so much so that Chris Wilder said he would have made five changes the whole back five <laughs> had he had the opportunity at, at half time so no, no, nothing to worry about hugely for Middlesbrough missed Matt Crooks and the goalkeeper issue well that's a that's a big problem right now Joe Lumley is um, mm. is getting pelters shall we say from the Middlesbrough fans yeah I was just going to add to that obviously Sam and I know Lumley well from being at QPR and he's not a championship goalie um, I think he needs to really be playing in League One or two, realistically. Um, and I think you see that fragility at the back as well. I mean, they made a lot of mistakes at the weekend, which uncharacteristic mistakes. I think that's a good thing because they don't think they're mistakes that they're going to make again. And they've been on such a good run that I do think those sorts of teams just do have days off because it is exhausting playing at that intensity and playing so well and being on that run that, that you know there's bound to be a, a, a game where you can't like, not everything works and there was there were definitely elements of that where a misplaced pass that a very reliable player like you know McNair would do nine times out of ten but they don't do it but going forward that Lumley issue I mean you'd think in the summer they'll they'll be able to get someone no no worries but He's just not good enough to play at that level. Um, but they've got two really big games coming up, and that's the only thing. If they're going to really you know, secure a playoff spot, next two games against Luton and Sheffield United, massive, massive. So, yeah, they, they need to try and sort out a bit of that um, chaos at the back. Definitely. It was interesting to to hear some of Wilder's comments afterwards. He's really scathing, as Sam said, about his, his, his rear guard. And the main issue, I think, was that he said they were too deep. Now, without getting overly tactical, that really matters because if you get the back three that squeeze up and make the pitch small when Barnsley have it, the guys in midfield that they can, you know, they can get around the pitch and break up play much much easier. But if they're too deep, it leaves it leaves so much space. And Barnsley, Bassey being a case in point, got some really clever little players in those areas. And they were running rings around them. So when you hear about you know a team being too deep and thinking, well, does that really matter? Are they just sitting on the edge of their 18-yard box? That's not what he means. It means making the pitch as small as possible for the for the opposition team when they have the ball. And if you don't do that, it's often problematic. So um, yeah, it was inter- interesting tactical point there. And yeah, they just had a bad day. But I do agree on Lumley. Without battering him too much, it's it's the problem position at Middlesbrough. Pretty much the only problem position. And I think, obviously, when when there's a lack of trust there, I think it feeds into the way a team plays and the mistakes that are made when... And you see that across all levels, I think. When, when the players are playing in front of a goalie that they do not trust, you just see that. You see that there's a weakness there. One quick stat I just wanted to drop in because I thought it was really interesting around Barnsley is... I, I looked it up because I thought, well, Barnsley, for as bad as they've been... They don't often get smashed. They're not a liability or a joke at the back. They've not been that this season. I looked at it. Um, six six teams have faced more shots than Barnsley this season. And they include Blackpool and Huddersfield. Huddersfield have had faced fewer shots than Barnsley this season. So, so they're not all over the place. They've just lacked a little bit of quality at times this year. Uh, one quick crap joke that I wanted to shoehorn in. I guess 90 sitcoms fans would have assumed that Joe Lumley would be absolutely fabulous, but it appears not, and, um, and that is a shame. Uh, now, the week's a long time in football. Four days is a pretty significant period too. Back on Tuesday, Paul Ince was celebrating a convincing win in his first game in temporary charge of Reading. Fast forward to Saturday, he's getting gubbed at his old club, Blackpool. Uh, what was this, Clarky? Was this Blackpool being good, Reading being bad, bit of both? Defending looked pretty ropey from the Royals. Def- definitely a flattering scoreline for Blackpool, but it's just a really hard place to, to go and, and play at the moment, isn't it? Incy, Incy, what's the score? I think that was ringing around <laughs> ringing around the stadium. Um, it feels it feels like Gary Medine was the key player in this game. He was really... He's not... He's not unbelievably talented player, is he? He's, he, he can look quite mediocre on occasion but when he's on it and he's hungry and he's acting like a battering ram of a centre forward then he can be really really dangerous and that's what he was in this game bullied the Reading rearguard and made a real difference 
Reading had to change their keeper and reshuffle, I believe, three members of their back four. So Medine and Co definitely caught them on a day when they were kind of not not as they should have been. And, and the goalie had a bit of a nightmare, Luke, Luke Southwood, in for Carl Hine, who had a mysterious home injury, the classic slip at home. Uh, and it's um, in, he's got a serious thumb injury, unfortunately. But um, yeah, solid from, from Blackpool. Um, the scoreline flattered them maybe because they scored a couple couple towards the end of the game. But um, yeah, on on Reading, I just want just wanted to put out Paulins, uh, Paulins and Tomins. At what stage might it get awkward? That that's just a thought mm. in my head because at Blackpool when they were together, he was the main man. He was the best player that they had. He was pretty much undroppable, and it works, doesn't it? But at Reading in his position. There was a lot of competition. I think Yakumete was on the bench here. Ajaria came off the bench. Obviously, he can play in those positions. They've already got a number of other good attacking midfielders slash wide players. Yeah, by all accounts, he had a very quiet game and, and stayed on the pitch. Now, it's fine, but sooner or later, people might start to look at that. I'm just going to plant that seed there and it could become a little bit awkward. Uh, lovely goal from Josh Bowler at the end of this game. Can't wait to see him at the world-famous City Ground next season, he says, crossing his fingers. Uh, now then, sorry, Flo and Sam, to bring you down. No wins, no goals in the previous five games for Blackburn ahead of Saturday's home date with QPR, uh, but they put that behind them by earning a narrow victory over Rangers at Ewood Park. They go above them in the table too. How are you feeling about things uh, in your part of West London at the moment, Flo? Because it was down and then up a bit again in midweek and now it's down a bit again. Is it clinging on to a playoff spot or are you still thinking you can be top two? Uh, I think it's it is. I think it's playoff, but I wouldn't say it's, it's clinging. I do think, unfortunately, other teams are hitting form as we're uh, drifting a little bit. I do think it's a bit of a reality check or a wake-up call just to... The size of our squad, over-reliance on certain players like Chris Wick and Ilias Chair since he got back from AFCON to create everything and also to score goals. I think the fact that we don't have a centre-forward who's in double digits or any player that's in double digits for goals is a prime example of that because when you look at the other teams that are up in and around us, they, they've got that in, in numbers. So I do think... Um, in order to push on next season. And I think, you know, I've been very kind of clear on, on this pod, uh, especially that I don't think it's the right time for QPR to be going up because I don't think there's enough stability in that squad to even give the Premier League a fighting chance. And we obviously know the history of them trying to, you know, play with the big boys financially and how that ended last time. So um, I think it is just, it's just a wake-up call. I think what's been disappointing for a lot of fans is just like the manner of the performances. Peterborough, Barnsley, uh, at Millwall, and now this game where the performance has just been really flat. And I think that's the kind of little bit of concern. A few people questioning some decisions that Mark Warburton's made tactically. Um, you know, I think the, the midfield have been struggling to kind of make a mark on games. But I think all in all, now you can still see the spirit and belief in that squad. I think it's just a reality of, you know, not a very deep squad and, and not a strong, reliable centre forward and that's kind of what you need. Tough run coming up as well, Sam, just looking at QPR's upcoming fixtures. You got Cardiff at home next, but then away to Luton and Forest. You also got Fulham and Sheffield United to play between now and the fifth of April. I guess the the positive of that is you can you can take points off teams who are who are around you. I'd be of the opinion that I'd prefer these games now, I think, for, for QPR rather than coming up against the teams in the Lower reaches of the division, they're the games that QPR struggle with, obviously, the, the weekend aside. And I can't disagree with anything Flo said, really. I think she just finished with the point about the strikers. I've been consistent with that. It's not that I don't rate the three options that they've got, but they've just not produced enough. Uh, I don't see what Steffi Hansen's bringing to the party right now. I've seen him live a few times recently. I've been concerned about the lack of pace in the squad. Um, and, and that probably... Puts the wing backs in that, you know, in that category as well. Um, so I think there's there's areas of the squad that need improvement, and there's areas of the squad that have been a bit light throughout this campaign. So I've been realistic. It's been it's been a really good season, and if they are to get in the playoffs, well, I'd snap your hand off for a playoff position right now, um, because I think there's there's definite flaws in, in in the squad. I mean, that was a bad goalkeeping mistake, if I'm allowed to say that. I know we get uh, we get crucified for having a go at goalkeepers being outfield players, but 
yeah, David Marshall has been brilliant in a number of games since he came in, but that was a big mistake. And a point at Blackburn, you know, after recovering well to take four points from the two homes against uh, two home games against Blackpool and Hull, I would have been absolutely delighted with. So, yeah, I think you, you still need to be balanced and say it's been a it's been a good season, and hopefully they can see it through. Just a quick word on uh, Reda Kadra for for Blackburn Rovers. <laughs> One of my new favourite players, I think. He's such an exciting little little player to watch, isn't he? He's Diddy, but he, he's so sprightly. Uh, when I saw him recently at West Brom, he lifted the whole mood of the game with his dribbling and his sort of energy and ability to sort of wriggle away from defenders. He's only 20 on loan from Brighton, I believe. I mean, how many players have Brighton got on loan at the moment? It's incredible. <laughs> and and he's another really good one. Um, second only behind Josh Bowler for successful dribbles in the Championship this season. You know, 20 years of age, a real talent. And yeah, even though the keeper might have done better, it's still a sensational free kick. Really fit! So yeah, he's a he's a player. I think we well, I hope we're going to get to see plenty of in the years to come. Uh, now, before we leave the championship, some news breaking on Monday lunchtime. Huddersfield have issued the following statement: Phil Hodgkinson has stepped down as director of Huddersfield Town. The club can today confirm that Phil Hodgkinson's decided to step down as a director of Huddersfield Town in order to focus on his other business interests. At the same time, Dean Hoyle and Pure Sports Consultancy Limited brackets owned by Phil Hodgkinson close brackets are in discussions for Dean to reacquire the shares held by Pure Sports in HTAFC completion of any agreement to acquire these shares will be subject to agreement and the required third party consents including from the EFL uh, get over to the Athletic for any updates on that I would suggest uh, right Flo you've got to leave us now before you do so can we have your bet for our bet builder please so my bet is for Derby County to beat Cardiff City um, and for both teams to score. So I suppose that kind of counts as two lines of our Aka, but I thought just going for an outright winner in that game was a little bit too dull, so I tried to spice things up a tad. Yeah, and no, I like that after Michelle Owens, Fulham to beat Peterborough, massive shout uh, last weekend. <laughs> Producer Doogie could give us the odds on that. I certainly can. So Derby to beat Cardiff is 16 to 5 and both teams to score is 11 to 10. Thanks, Doogie. Right, thanks, Flo. We'll speak to you again soon. Cheers, guys. OK, we'll get to League One next. One Rotherham extend their lead at the top to nine points thanks to a win at Plymouth. The second place Wigan were well beaten by Sunderland. Portsmouth came back from 3-0 down to draw 3-3 with Fleetwood and leave the Cowleys relieved. There were three points for MK Don, Shepherd Wednesday and Oxford to consolidate their playoff places. Crew stay bottom but earned a win at Cheltenham whilst Doncaster came from two down to draw with Wimbledon. None of the bottom four lost, leaving the likes of Wimbledon and Fleetwood over their shoulders. Uh, a first win for Alex Neal in the always hot Sunderland seat. Not many would have had the Black Cats trip to Wigan as an away win, but it was comfortable as it gets for Neal and co. They strolled to a 3-0 win. Uh, and Sam, Wigan made it pretty easy for them here, didn't they? they? That first goal for Bailey Wright in particular, he had the, the freedom of Lancashire to head in. He did, and I thought that was ever so important for, for Sunderland, given the run that they've been on. I mean, scoring early is obviously great at any stage of the season, but they've got a brilliant record when they've they've gone in front in, in games, scored the first goal, won 15 out of their 21. Only Rotherham can better that. And coming from behind, they're not particularly good at as well. So I, I think just Alec Neal, after the game, he spoke about simplifying things. And, you know, football was a simple game, gets complicated by by people... And I think there was a bit of this uh, in in the performance that they were a bit more direct. Um, the past success rate was 56%, um, which I thought was particularly low. And then I looked at their last couple of away games. And yes, you have to take the opposition into account. We're going to have a very good side who will have more of the ball. But 73% at Wimbledon and, and 70% past success rate at Cheltenham, the previous away game. So I think he's probably just gone into Ross Stewart a little bit earlier. Made some big calls. The goalkeeper issue 
um, playing Patterson over Hoffman, I think, has raised a few eyebrows. The biggest thing was putting in Hamadjli, centre-half, been at the club for 18 months. That was his first league start. And by all accounts, alongside Bailey Wright, he was he was excellent. So it's a start and the fixtures are really good. Three games against teams in the top half remain for Sunderland. So I'm not saying it's definitely on, but certainly loads of optimism after a, a pretty complete performance. Um, Adrian, what about Wigan? Obviously, they've got this whole bunch of games in hand on, on everybody, but only clear of, of MK on goal difference now. Very un-Wigan-like performance here. A first home defeat since October. One of those days or, or something deeper going on here? Yeah, I think... No, I think it was just a one-off. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it was... You know, they've been playing pretty well. Uh, a lot of their four players are in great nick at the moment, but they were undone by really savvy Sunderland performance. I think Sam's right. Tactically, they def- definitely were a bit more pragmatic. They would they were basically determined Sunderland not to leave any space for the likes of of Callum Lang and uh, and Humphreys and all these other guys to to run amok. And they didn't. And 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 they did a bit of a job on on Wigan on the day, who almost always score, particularly on home turf. And it's a shame for them because it was the biggest crowd since they played in the Premier League. Um, at, at the DW Stadium in the game. Over 20,000 there. And it's always the way, isn't it? When you attract that huge crowd, you don't turn up. And you put in a, a, the kind of flat performance that, that hasn't been seen for ages. So they'll be they'll be a little bit gutted. The bottom line is they got undone by two penalties and a free kick. So it's not, you know, they've not been cut to ri- ribbons. But yeah, they'll be disappointed. There's a bit of a dilemma there with Josh McGuinness because they brought him in in January, big big sort of name, big presence to be the leader of their line without Charlie White. And he does not look like scoring. He's he's working hard, but it's not happening for him. And and if he plays, it means someone really good and in better form is often on the bench. Um, now, it's not a problem if they can come off the bench and impact the games and, and, and win. You get away with it. But in this particular match they couldn't they couldn't get away with it and now there was mutiny in the air at Fratton Park when Fleetwood went 3-0 up by half time but Portsmouth staged a second half fight back to earn a point thanks to Aidan O'Brien's goal on 90 plus 5 uh, Clarkie am I being dramatic to suggest that that might have saved Danny Cowley's job I don't think he was about to get sacked and and this was a pretty good performance 23 shots to 5 from from Portsmouth <laughs> just couldn't believe I don't think that they were three goals down some Great goals by by Fleetwood. So no, it was um, no. They showed a bit bit of character, real desire actually in the second half. Uh, Ronan Curtis was sort of rolling up his sleeves, being the sort of catalyst for for the comeback. Great corner. I love a corner where you pretty much shoot and and you you whip it in with that confidence that I don't care if I'm going to balloon this over the fast eight. I'm going to try and score here and see what happens. He did that, and I think Harness got himself a lucky. A lucky goal, but what what stood out for me on, on this one was was um, was Cowley's comments afterwards about the ball in play. Have you seen this? He he had he clearly had someone doing it for him because he could he couldn't measure this surely. He said the in play time of the second half where the ball was in play and live was nineteen minutes of the entire second <laughs> half, which lasted fifty three minutes. So basically what he was saying was that, that Fleetwood were time-wasting, kicking it out of play, you know, taking ages over free kicks, corners, etc. So he had a real moan up, but um, but he must have been delighted with the comeback. Yeah, Danny Cowley's size never do that, do they? If I can just um, uh, turn my the clock back to when I was a player. If I was a Fleetwood player away at Fratton Park, 3-0 to the good, and that penalty was awarded against me. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> it was never a penalty. And that obviously gives... Portsmouth the, the chance of recouping something from the game and the, the fans you could hear when um, Paddy Lane's third went in um, you can hear them turning trying you know starting to get at the players obviously when you're 3-0 down at home so that gave them you know something to, to go after in the, in the second half and recover which they didn't actually do until the last 10 minutes but obviously Clarkie Clarkie's right they peppered the, the Fleetwood goal after the third Fleetwood um Goal went in. They only had one shot, Fleetwood, from outside the box in the time that remains. And uh, Portsmouth had a plethora of chances in the in the second period. So 
yes, it was probably uh, coming and probably deserved. But, you know, if that penalty is not awarded, Fleetwood leave of all three. And they are drawing every every game at the moment. This is the second 3-3 three, three between the, the two sides and five in six for Fleetwood right now. So could be the difference between them staying in the division. Yeah, they just need to tighten up at the back, don't they? They, they need to, funnily enough, they need to manage game situations better, don't they? Uh, maybe they just go too defensive because, you know, you can understand it. You've got a lead at Portsmouth. You want to eke out time. And also, I think psychologically, they've thrown away so many situations. I was looking at this. They've been 1-0 up 14 times. I would say if you, if you, if you take the lead in 14 games, you should be winning eight or nine of them. 10, 11, the best teams will win 12 or 13. They've won six, six of 14, not good enough. They've also let in three goals in a game seven times this season. So, um, yeah, the, it's obvious where they need to improve. But this Paddy Lane, I've mentioned him before on this pod, he's got a great left foot, absolutely sensational. He's only a young player. Um, yeah, looks to have a really bright future. Be a good name for a Beatles tribute act as well, wouldn't it? Paddy Lane. <laughs> Uh, right, you know Colin you Murray nicking his lyrics. <laughs> oh, did he do that? He's done uh, that a long time ago. Sung it. <laughs> go on then, Adrian. Before we go to League Two, can you give us your selection for our bet builder, please? I'm going boring. Flo would absolutely. I'm glad she's gone because she would berate me <laughs> for my dullness here. Um, but look, we just want to put money on the table, don't we? Sheffield Wednesday in form. Sheffield Wednesday entertain Burton at Albion. I'm sure the odds are very, very average, but they've, you know, they've won six of their last seven, Sheffield Wednesday. Burton, very inconsistent. I, I'm just going for the home win. On the nose, the owls for me. Doogie can give us the odds on that. Nothing crazy on this one. Sheffield Wednesday to beat Burton Albion at home is 8-13. to 13. Thanks, Doogie. Right, we'll go to League Two next. <laughs> In League Two, mixed news for the division's new managers. Paul Simpson leads Carlisle to victory at Dorit, but Mark Hughes, Bradford, lack a spark in defeat to Mansfield. Back-to-back losses for leaders Forest Green, but they're let off the hook after the two teams below them, Tranmere and Northampton, are also beaten. Michael Flynn's brought his old Newport number two, Wayne Hatswell, over to Walsall with him. The Saddlers beat Hartlepool, and Sutton maintain their playoff push by swatting aside sorry Scunny. Plenty of goals at Rodney Parade and plenty for Newport to cheer just now. James Robery's team only outside the playoff places after a late turnaround saw them past Tranmere. Uh, big win this, Clarkie, for a couple of reasons. One, because they, they hadn't won in, in any of their previous four, I think it was, Newport, but also because Tranmere's previously watertight defence was, was breached four times here. So loads of reason for them to be confident. Yeah, really good. Um, it was um, some lovely goals in it as well. Um, Finners has produced a beauty, didn't he? That was a lovely curling, curling shot. Yeah, they, they, they thoroughly deserved the win. Obviously, they got pegged back to 2-2 after having the two-goal lead. And, and their response was to stick that one in the top corner, which is a great way to turn the tide. And yeah, I, I really like Newport. They play some good football under this manager, James Robry. And what a great decision it was for the club to invest in a better pitch. Because you could, not that long ago, you could guarantee Rodney Parade would be, it was, matches there would stink the place out. It'd just be on, it'd be on a horrible surface and it would be all about set pieces, second balls, long throws, etc. The pitch is, is fantastic at the moment. And they're playing some really nice stuff on the deck. And they've got good players. You know, Telford, you know, little, little fella up top, really instinctive finisher. Scored two, made a goal as well. So, yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're an exciting side. They're, they've got the leakiest defence, Newport, of all, the, of all the sort of contenders for the playoffs. But... But they've got some great footballers too. So yeah, as a new, I think they should be the neutral's choice to sort of progress this year. Yeah, Telford up to twenty-four for the season now. Uh, elsewhere, are Forest Green having a wobble? They've lost back-to-back games for the first time after John Yem's Crawley beat the league leaders two-one. Uh, inevitable, they'd stutter at some point, I suppose, Sam, isn't it? They're still twelve points between themselves and the playoffs, but mild concern. No, not at all. Ten points still. The, the gap, I think they've got a game in hand as well over second. So, no, I mean, the, the, the two strikers have dried up a little bit. I mean, certainly if you look at what they've what they've produced over the last 
Um, six games in comparison to the to the previous ones when they were you know free scoring, knocking teams for for three and four. So that's a bit of an issue. But again, a decision at the weekend. I thought absolutely um, the the wrong call from the referee Dan Sweeney, who came on at two nil, had a great effect on the game. Probably played himself into the manager's thinking as a starting position. I've really liked Sweeney when I've seen him either at centre half or in midfield. Gives them a bit more drive than they've got in there with Hendry and, and Stevenson, I think, with the two starters at the weekend. So he may look at that. But the decision to rule out his equaliser, I thought, was was a really bad decision. So they could have quite easily got a point. Um, Crawley are liable to do this from time to time. You just need to think back to when they smashed Leeds in the FA Cup. They won at Bradford recently. There's no rhyme or reason to what they produce. Um, their away record's much better than at home. But this was another one of those good days for, for Crawley. Um, but yeah, no, no worries about Forest Green. They're still the best side in the division and, and will win the league in my mind. Sam mentions the ref there, Adrian. It was a different ref in the second half. Do you ever pull a Jack Powell and, and nobble a referee so he has to go off at half-time? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. No, no, I wouldn't, wouldn't, wouldn't dream of doing such a thing. I gave a few earache um, that might, might have suffered with that moving forward but yeah I mean what a result it's the first time anyone has beaten Forest Green on their own patch in, in 322 days I mean unbeaten away from home for that long that shows you what a good team Forest Green are I'll tell you what struck me about this game from Crawley's point of view was was Naderson his goal was great wasn't it he ran on ran through great pace good touch lovely finish often happens when a, a player comes off the bench early I think he was he was sub, which he'd have probably been a bit annoyed about because he's a good player, Nadison, not prolific, but a good player. And there was an injury to Ote after sort of 15 minutes. And it's like, you're unex- it's unexpected, tracksuit off, on you go, son, without really thinking about it. And yeah, just a, just an outstanding centre-forward performance from him. So, um, and, and in general, I just think they ran their legs off, Crawley. You have to to compete against Forest Green and, and yeah, well done to them and, and to John Yems too. Yep, love a bit of Yemo and love it when he's happy too. Uh, right, Sam, we're going to round off this bet builder now. Can I have your pick from the midweek matches, please? I'm going for uh, Colchester against Leighton Orient to be a snooze fest. Uh, under 2.5 goals, squeaky bum time, isn't it? Mm. They'll definitely be looking over their shoulders. I don't imagine there's going to be too much Goal mouth action. It's going to be 1 0 either way or a, a low score draw. Okay, well, as ever, I am the yin to your yang because I'm going Newport versus Forest Green, two teams we've just spoke about there, over two and a half goals in that game uh, between two teams who, who usually run a few in. Uh, Diggy, you can give us the odds on those games and the bet builder as a foursome, please. So Colchester versus Leighton Orient under 2.5 goals was 6 to 10. Newport County versus Forest Green over 2.5 goals was 11 to 10. The total value of our bet builder is 8.47 to 1. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. It's over 18s only. T's and C's apply. Prices are accurate at the time of recording and when the fun stops. Stop. Uh, now, before we go, after Birmingham changed their name back to Small Heath Alliance due to a tie-in with a TV show, uh, let's pair up some other EFL clubs with some stuff on the telly. What you got for me, Adrian? First and foremost, there are lots of things about modern football that annoy me. And this was horrendous, the, uh, wasn't it? For Absolute want of a better horrendous. word, crap. And this is <laughs> crap. I'm sorry. This is just by order of the Peaky Blinders. It's just marketing, isn't it? It's just nonsense. No one wants this. It's not even funny. Um, I love Peaky Blinders, by the way, but this is a joke. Um, yeah, this kind of thing needs to be put in the bin. Um, we can't. We can't have that. Um, so that's rubbish. Uh, anyway, um, but I did. Well, did... let's add fuel to the fire by coming up with some more. Yeah, but but <laughs> but linking a club with a TV program, I quite enjoyed it. I quite enjoyed when you suggested this earlier on, and I'm quite proud of myself here. Have you ever seen Stacey Solomon's Sort Your Life Out? No, oh, it's a great program. Great program. I bet Sam has. Sam, I haven't seen it, but I'm a fan of Stacey's work. Yeah, yeah she's, I she's think fine. you'd like it. It's fine. all about. Having a life-changing declutter. 
it's about getting rid of all the you know all the old stuff that's getting dusty and stale in the cupboards and it, it is good it's quite good um, west bromwich albion should team up with Stacey Solomon. <laughs> she can sort their life out. I mean, if ever a club needed a declutter, getting loads of the old, fusty, dusty players that sort of are lingering around from the Slaven Bilic era, um, I think it's West Brom. Um, most of their players are 28 or over, the most used players. No real kids given a chance there. Declutter. Get them off to a warehouse with Stacey and she'll sort their lives out. I can picture it. Oh, what, you still got Adam Reach knocking about around the back here? Let's get him out, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like it. Um, Sam, what did you go for? I've gone for an absolute tap-in, because I had about 30 seconds to think of this. I've got three <laughs> shows for the club. Uh, Forest Green Rovers, obviously. Grand Designs, I fought for the new stadium, some kind of eco-friendly um, dome, heating. You can crack on. Country File. But I'll go for, because I wanted to shoehorn another anecdote about myself in, Blue Peter. <laughs> Blue Peter, least offensive show ever. They're probably the least offensive club. Um, and they had a garden, didn't they? So they're going to grow lots of nice uh, fruit and veg to uh, <laughs> fill the uh, the produce on a match day. There you go. And I do I did, I do have a Blue Peter badge myself. No way. After, uh, what for? I went on when I was a, a under-14 schoolboy at Chelsea when they played the... 94 cup final against Manchester United and I went on there with some Manchester United equivalents uh, from their academy to test drive some computer games in full kit. (laughs) (laughs) It was very, very odd, but yeah, still got a badge. Were you good at computer games, just out of interest? Not particularly. I think I I actually played like an eight-year-old lad who was wearing the full Man United gear and... (laughs) It was about 4-0 up when they came to me, so it was a comfortable answer when Anthea Turner asked me how I was getting on. I want 5,000 words on this, on The Athletic, <laughs> by tomorrow morning. Um, right, I came up with a couple. Derby, Money Heist, obviously, uh, because of the way they played FFP. Hull, Tiger King, that's a tap-in as well, isn't it, Route 1? Uh, and finally, Scunthorpe, this is going to hurt, because, you know, their season's been rubbish and they're getting relegated. Sorry, Scunthorpe fans. Hey, we'll be back on Thursday when we'll be reflecting on the midweek madness. There'll probably be a load more managerial movements for us to talk about too. And we'll look ahead to the weekend's action. Uh, Until then, many thanks for your company today, listener. Thanks also to producer Doogie, to Flo, to Adrian and to Sam. We'll catch up with you again later in the week. Until then, it's bye for now. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app, and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.